If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer at Reach PLC. In this week's episode, I was joined by James Doherty, also known as TRL Limitless, a sim racer, YouTuber and F1 esports manager for Alfa Romeo Orland Esports. We spoke about how to become a better sim racer, including the difference between using a controller and a wheel, turning assists off, setup help, driving tips, and much, much more. We also discussed his career so far, including how he started on YouTube, becoming a professional sim racer, and now being the F1 esports manager for Alfa Romeo Orland Esports. We also touched on the return of the F1 Virtual Grand Prix series and discussed the future of the esports industry. Enjoy! James, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, no, I'm doing really well, thank you. And yeah, pleasure to be on. No, it's an absolute honour for me and yeah, looking forward to this. Cool. Did I pronounce that right? Is it Do- Doherty or it's, Doherty or what? Yeah, my name's really weird. It's <laughs> pronounce it Doherty, but I just Doherty, say Doherty okay. to people just easier. It's an Irish name, but yeah. either way is cool with me. Yeah, it's like the, the Spurs right back, isn't it? I never know how to pronounce <laughs> the name, but um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that you're not pernickety about that. Good start anyway. Uh, but yeah, just so, I mean, if, if people are listening, they don't know who you are. Um, you're a sim racer, YouTuber, and you're also the F1 esports manager for Alfa Romeo Orland Esports. I mean, where did it all start for you? Yeah, with me, I pretty much, I've always been into games. I've always loved gaming ever since I got a PlayStation 1. Uh, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Dragon, games like that. And then once I discovered Xbox and you could play online against people, I think yeah, that was the obsession for me, just playing against other people online and be able to compete against them. And yeah, that's where I think my competitive instinct comes in. Um, I just really, really love playing against people and just doing the best I can. And a little bit before that, I did karting for quite a while. I did karting from 2003 to... 2011, 2012, um, ended up having to uh, give that up because I was going to university. So it was quite a bit of funds involved. So I really had to, really was an ultimatum on what choice I wanted to do. So ended up going to university and in 2010 or 2011. And it was only in 2012 that I really started to play Formula One, uh, to be honest. Now, before that, I was into Formula One, but I wasn't a crazy, despite doing karting, I wasn't completely obsessed. Again, I think with the karting, it was just something that I just happened to be good at and just competing against people. I think if I was really good at Call of Duty or FIFA or something like that, it, I could my channel today could have been based completely on that. I think it's it's more down to just, yeah, competing against people. That's what I absolutely love to do. So... 2012, uh, probably not a good time. It was in my second year of university where I should have been studying. Um, really just started getting into Formula One, started joining league racing and saw people, other people uploading. And I was just completely hooked. I was just completely obsessed. 
just to try and become the best player on the game on F1 2012 uh, and 13 onwards. And pretty much from there, it's been like that ever since, even still to this day, my passion level is still exactly the same. And my YouTube has been growing really, really well uh, since that period. I'd probably say only the last year and a half or maybe two years, I've I've been ultra consistent with my YouTube. I'm doing three videos a week and doing the live streams and everything as well. And yeah, honestly, I really, really couldn't be happy with it. I've, I'm really, really humbled that people enjoy watching my content and just the way it's grown, I feel in a very, very natural way. And the whole point of my channel is to really show that relatability um, of what you can achieve if you put your mind to something. So the YouTube's been going really, really well. And in terms of the sim racing and the esports, that really started in 2017. I first went to watch the uh, opening, the, the debut season in Abu Dhabi. I didn't compete. I missed out, just about missed out on the qualifying for that. And I said to myself watching that, that I really wanted to get involved in that in the future. So next year I qualified. I got picked by Renault, which was a, a massive experience that we could go into more detail uh, a little bit later, perhaps, but that was a, a massive, massive moment for me and didn't compete in many races, but I did well in the races that I did do. And then the year afterwards, I got the management opportunity, which I felt with where I was at that point in my life was a very, very good fit for me. And also I feel just the skills and the experience I had available from the years playing in the game i felt that was definitely a role that was really suited to me and yeah it's uh it's been going really really good ever since then so yeah so what was it that made you kind of bite the bullet in 2011 for f1 2012 and and just start a youtube channel yeah the ambition behind that was really just seeing the likes of uh, matthew gallagher who's the presenter for wtf1 today and um, he was uploading a lot of content on his youtube channel same with another guy called Harry Jacks, aka Noble29909. Um, those guys were uploading their league races and competitive gameplay. And honestly, yeah, when I was at university for the first year, uh, it was 2010, 2011, I, I hardly played it. I, I didn't really even know the scene or anything what, whatsoever. Um, and I wasn't even particularly that much into F1 then. But once, really, I think it was kind of by chance and coincidence, once I dropped myself in the game and... I just noticed I, I felt really, really good at the game. Uh, just naturally really, really good on the controller. And then I got asked to join leagues by people within the game uh, known as TRL, which is why my name is TRL Limits Total Racing Leagues. And that was like the number one league at the time. So I got asked to join that league and yeah, started off pretty strong. Didn't start off winning straight away or anything, but started off pretty strong. And for me, I think the main thing is that I gave up kart racing and I needed something else to fill that competitive space that I had within me. And for me, obviously, the, the beauty about gaming and playing online is that it's very, very cost-effective. You don't have to go anywhere. And I feel like I could perform at my best all the time. And that just filled that void perfectly to me. So I think it was really just finding something that I could really just unleash my competitive competitiveness with. And F1 just did that absolutely perfectly. And I just wanted to start uploading what I was doing because there was only Matty G and Harry that were doing it at the time, really. And of course, Ben and Arif as well. But 
no one was really doing their leagues and I really aspired to be the best when I was doing it at the time and it really took off from there really. I was looking through some of your old videos actually and I was looking at in order the most popular ones and I was just having a quick look through and I noticed about four years ago I think it was December 2016 when you uploaded this particular video which I was quite surprised at is that that was the first time you used a wheel with uh, sim racing so before that you were using just the controller or a pad or whatever to to do your racing and then you had to what was it that made you move to a wheel did you think that you that was the only way to get quicker at that point or was it for another reason yeah pretty much exactly that and i've been on the controller since yeah the very start to about 2016 2017 and i think no the controller i think the good thing about these games as well, um, it being really a simcade, is that the the controller really can it can compete with the wheel, unless you're in that very very top one percent. Maybe for at that esports level, that's when it will struggle to compete. But for the rest of the ninety nine percent of the community, you could be just as fast on the controller um, as you could be on the wheel. And for me, I think the main decision was that a lot of people really wanted to see me uh, go on the wheel and. I felt that was the next step for really me as my channel. If I wanted to get into esports, then you have to use the wheel if you get signed by an F1 team. And yeah, I knew I knew that was that was just an inevitable step that I needed to take because there was only so far I could go with the controller, especially if I wanted to get to the very, very top level. And also at that time, that's when my YouTube I, I did start taking it a bit more seriously and listening to people, what people wanted to see. And I think for content purposes and stuff as well, me being on the wheel is something a lot of people want to use when they're, when they're on a driving game. So yeah, I think that was mainly the decision about really if I wanted to get into F1 esports, that's the reason why I switched to the wheel. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you really and, and to get you on the podcast was to talk about the sim racing in, in general because you've got so much experience in the space, obviously using you in karting, first of all, using a pad, going to controller, competing at the highest level in, in terms of the, the leagues and the competitions. And like you said, you ran over for a bit as well. Have you have you got any kind of tips that you'd you'd give to people who are starting off using um, a wheel rather than a controller and pe- pe- some of the mistakes people make when they first change over to a wheel? Yeah, I think going to the wheel, especially if you'd used a controller before or you'd done some real racing before, it's um, especially on the F one games, which are I've got quite a unique feeling compared to you know, other games such as the set of course or iRacing there you know, that you could classify them as a full simulation. So it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to, even if you're just driving your car, like you, you can have somewhat of a similar feeling what that feels like. But when you go to Formula One, you really have to kind of forget about the way you drive in real life, especially in karting or if you compete in motorsport or anything, it's, it's a really, really different experience. And I think, a lot of it does depend on the wheel you use and the pedals and the way you mount it. Like if you mount it to a desk or back in the old days, people used to put it on their laps and not pay that as well. So, oh, man. yeah. So it's um, the wobbly that, desks. I've seen a few of them. Yeah. Like, oh, or things that like wrapped around your, your legs or something yeah. like that. So it was, it was a really, really different experience. But yeah, for me, if you want to learn the wheel, you've just got to, get that expectation of how you think it's going to feel like and the way you should drive in real life and realize that you're going to have to completely reset your driving style 
And I think as I touched on the equipment, but at the end of the day, you've got to get comfortable with what works for you because everyone has different driving styles. Everyone's going to have a different setup, like if you a different cockpit or different desk or mount or anything at all. You've just got to be very, very patient. And I think the more you watch people who do use a wheel, um, it helps if they have a webcam in their videos and stuff as well to see how they're actually turning and stuff as well. I think you just got to be persistent and patient because when I first went on the wheel from the controller, I was a good second and a bit off what I was doing on the controller with no assist. And it took me two, two or three months to really get to, to that level. So there is no magic pill or, or shortcut. I think you know, some people can progress quicker than others, but it's just, it's just, I would describe it as trying to learn how to ride a bike. You know, you just got to have that muscle memory and you just got to put time into it. And all that might be frustrating at, at first, uh, I promise you, you will get better, but then you will develop in a way that suits you in your own driving style. Because I think the worst thing that people can do um, and this goes for like wheel settings and stuff as well. It's just trying to replicate what someone else does. Because I think you see Formula One drivers, they have so many different styles of driving. Uh, Fernando Alonso was really, really smooth, but then aggressive once he got to the apex. And then you see other people like Max Verstappen, really aggressive, or Charles Leclerc, super aggressive, but then Bottas or Hamilton, very, very smooth. I think you've you've just got to put the time and persistence in really. Um and just watching it and racing with many good people as you possibly can. And that is the only way to really improve the fastest. So, Yeah. I mean, speaking from experience, there's like an amateur sim racer and someone who's only recently started to like take it a bit more seriously. When I, when I first started using the wheel, I was a lot, a lot slower than one second off. I tell you, <laughs> honestly, um, I, I just, I thought to myself, I just need to keep going. It was the time, like you said, I don't think there's any shortcut for time and, and experience yep, yep. And, put, and putting that time in. So I, I started just going round and round at Barcelona um, on time trial with, with first time I ever, ever turned track control off. I mean, I remember the first few times I went round, I couldn't even get around the first corner. I just lost it because I, I just had no concept of... I had no experience of the the no traction control and having to find the grip yourself. But put, from putting the time in, I started to get quicker and quicker. Obviously, nowhere near what I'd done on the pad. But when you when you get to a stage where you you are finally quicker than what what you've set on the pad using no tra- traction control, the feeling is incredible because you feel like you've put that time in and you put in all the effort to do it. And it feel when you hook a lap up with a wheel, it's such a good feeling. And it's it's very, very close to what you get in, in real life in terms of if you've ever done like a track day or whatever. And it's very hard to replicate that, isn't it? For I mean, when I say for free, but obviously you have to buy the equipment, but it doesn't cost you anything to do that. And I think it's one of the, one of the best things you can do if you're a fan of, you know, racing in real life. One of the best things you can do is setting a fast wheel on a, a, a fast time, sorry, on a, on a racing wheel and pedals and no assist. It's just, when you get past that level, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I think, um, I think I know, I think, you know, when you feel comfortable on a wheel, because I think when you first start, you're so conscious of your, your movements, like your throttle application, you yeah. resting your feet on the pedals. And it's just a complete, for me, it's like learning a new language in a way, you know, like, you know, it's your way of communication. You're trying to achieve the same thing, 
but you have to completely forget that like you're using going from your thumbs to your feet and then your hands. It's just like completely, yeah. it's, it's like completely different. <laughs> yeah, when yeah, I first yeah. did it, it was, yeah, if you check out that video from like four years ago, something like that, you know, it was, no, I think having that experience of me being on the F1 games really helped me start off not too bad because I already knew kind of what, how the car reacts in game and, and stuff like that already. I think that's what helped me. But yeah. I think, you know, when, once you get to that level where you feel comfortable and you're faster, I think that's when you, because now, now when I drive, I think the way you know how you feel comfortable is that you, you're not even thinking about your pedals or your downshifts or anything like that. You're just, I'm just fully focused on just the racing line and just where the corner's coming up. And I think once you get to that stage, that's when you know that you're, you kind of pass that test and, and how you feel comfortable. But it's a, it's a very, very, very different experience, a very, very different experience, yeah. but you've just got to, I think the best way definitely for sure is to really put yourself in that deep end. So you have to put yourself in that comfortable situation and just accept that you're, you're probably are going to spin or you're probably are going to not be very good <laughs> at first. And just putting yourself in league races, maybe at a, a lower category or a lower tier, or just racing online against people in five lap or 25% races and just constantly doing that over again. And once you start to keep up with people or you make overtakes or outbreak people, that's when you're, it's all about confidence at the end of the day. That once you get that confidence where you think, actually, you know what, I'm at, I can actually, I actually feel in control of the car. And once you feel, connected to the car. I think that's the thing with the wheel where it's so good is that once you get those settings for the force feedback and then your driving is replicated in that once you do a lap and you can actually feel, feel the lap, whereas on the controller, you, you can only feel it through your, your thumbs or your fingers when you're on the wheel. I think that's where the advantage is. Well, you just have much more overall feeling yeah. of how the car is reacting. And once you master that, that's when you can, get that extra 1%, which the controller can't do. But again, I think the number one thing is just persistence and patience. I think you just got to be patient and you just got to accept that it's going to be a bit of a journey getting there. And if you just put yourself against as high level people as you possibly can, and then once you start competing or beating those people, that's when your, your confidence goes up. And it's like riding a bike without the stabilizers. Once you take it off, then you just, you just don't even think about it anymore. So. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to touch on that because it felt a bit overwhelming for me at first because maybe I I, I tried too much <laughs> at once, maybe um, because I had to learn myself in terms of you know early upshift is something I've never done before. Um, in terms of like thinking about what gear you need to be in, uh, corner entry, corner exit, mid corner. Um, Talking about, I mean, one of the misconceptions I had, and I felt like I was, a, you know, an avid Formula One fan. And I knew a lot about the sport, but one of the things that I quickly learn as well is they're not on on full throttle for for very long in mid corner. Like, I don't know what you thought, but I mean, I was confused why I couldn't go full throttle in certain corners um, because I thought the grip was there. But then watching some of the F one onboards afterwards. Sometimes they're half throttle uh, until the very late a bit of the corner when they've got that extra grip. And that's something I had to deal with and think, actually, yeah, you know, that's something because I was confused why I couldn't go through certain corners at full throttle and then having to go through at half throttle or, you know, try and ease in. But then when you actually watch it, that's that's how it how it works in real life as well. I think that's something that I had to learn very quickly. 
Yeah, I think again that goes back to the point in a way that I think it's it's kind of a it's good to like watch people for confidence and breaking points and stuff like that. But in terms of their their throttle application and their, their driving style with the hand movement stuff as well, it's kind sometimes it's kind of a bit of a dangerous thing um, to do because you. I think you need to, when you're learning something, like if you're learning an instrument or, you know, when you're trying to learn the wheel, so that you've got to learn in your own style. And if you're too focused on, oh, going through this corner, this guy went half throttle, I've got to do that. You're just, <laughs> you're focusing too much on that rather than you actually learning how to do it yourself. I think it's not the answer that people want to hear really, to be honest with people that ask me and stuff as well, but it's... What's the silver yeah, bullet? What's the yeah, there, there, there is yeah. no magic pill or anything at all. That it's, it's time. It's time and consistency and yeah, just patience as well. Like you've, you've got to learn your style, like what the people I race with online, you know, and if you compare Yano against uh, Freddie Rasmussen, for example, no, they pretty much have almost opposite driving styles, completely opposite driving styles. The way how they, the one breaks very deep, one breaks quite early, gets it slowed down. The other's very aggressive with the wheel. The other one looks like he's barely turning it. You know, so it's, there is no right way. Uh, you've got to find the right way for you. Um, so I think when you're learning, you just got to, no, it's good to watch people to inspire you to, to know what level you can get to, but you've got to kind of learn. You just got to freestyle it and do it at your own will. And I always describe the will and the controller with the analogy. I say is the will is kind of like, um, I think it's in a way, I think it's snowboarding. I think snowboarding is harder to learn, um, but easy to master. And then the skiing is a very, very, easy to learn, but hard, hard to master. So I think that's the analogy I like to use between the two, between both ah, of those. So that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. but the controller feels, the controls like skiing to me. It's like, because at the start of the game, every release of the new game, it's, it's quite easy to pick up. It's a very user-friendly device. And yeah, it's, it is difficult to get that final percent. It's really, really difficult to get, to, to max out on the controller is really difficult to get, but to pick up and play, now, if I did it today, and I think most people, they could get within a second or two seconds of you know, a very, very good time. But then if you go to the wheel for the first time, <laughs> it's like going to a snowboard where it's, you know, you can't stand up, you can't stay on track. But then once you get the hang of it, there's the level of progression. Like, yeah, obviously, again, to still get to A-sports level is very difficult, but to, to then become really good. You see a lot of people are really good with the wheel. A lot of people are really good with it. But you, you don't see many people that insanely good with the controller, though. So yeah, that's the way I describe it. So let's say then. So you've you've put the time in with the wheel. You've you've learned in terms of when to upshift certain things. You've, you feel like you've got the gears all correct in terms of entry into corner, exit corner. You've got the traction control kind of sorted. You've got the braking kind of sorted. You know the racing lines for most of the tracks, um, and this is kind of the level I'm at. So this is like a secret question for me as well. Trying try to get a few tips and tips, but for anyone listening who's at that level as well, who's like, thinks they're kind of getting used to the the kind of wheel and, and, and how to do it without assists. What are the kind of tips you'd get for like going even faster at that stage that really require that time and effort? What are the, what are the things that you need to master to get to that other level? Yeah, I think if you're at the level where you are running those assists and you're pretty confident to get it around the track and stuff as well, I think 
it's, it's kind of the same answer again in a way. I think going against people who you consider to be better than you, so if you put yourself in a very, very competitive league, um, I think that brings the best out of you more as well. That makes you just a... Just the very, very small details make a huge difference. If you're just a fraction earlier on the throttle application coming out of the corner, you're breaking that fraction later, just carrying that fraction more speed. No, that half attempt through every corner, that's that's going to be like six, seven tenths a lap improvement. Like if you did that throughout the entire lap and it's just those really, really small details. So for me, I think when you're competent at that level already, this is definitely something that helped me. And People like Yarno as well, because, you know, he's eSports world champion, but he, uh, a couple of years ago, he wasn't at that level. So, you know, and he, he knew how to drive without any assist. And I think having him having that experience against the people like Rasmussen, Brendan Lee and Berezne and Tanitza, having that experience where he's raced against them and he's actually like, you know what, I can actually keep up with these people or I can actually battle with these people. I think it just gives you that extra extra level of confidence, which then translates into you just being a bit more committed in your movements on the wheels. So just being that, you know, being that bit more aggressive on the braking and, and that throttle application and steering as well. And that just all adds up to put you to the next level, I think. So then my answer to that again is to put yourself against the very best competition that you can. And if you're doing that on a regular basis, then you'll find yourself that you will you'll start getting to that level as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I used to watch like James Baldwin's um, fast laps and stuff on the F1 game. They like, used to say stuff like, you know, flat through here, like as if it was nothing. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? How can you go, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I feel like I'm kind of past that stage now, but I wanted to talk to you about uh, a few little things that are mentioned a lot in your channel that I think... Uh, I need to master and I hope people listening uh, might be, you know, having questions about as well. But talk to me about extra rotation, uh, <laughs> what that means, because uh, it's kind of turned into a bit of a catchphrase, hasn't it, for you on your channel? And uh, if you look at the comments of, of some of your videos, there's a lot of people saying it and stuff. So talk to me about extra rotation and what that means in practical terms uh, in sim racing and, and how you do that. <laughs> no, yeah, extra rotation. Um, that wasn't something from this game. That was something from last game um, where basically, again, like, people could use so many different styles the way they drive because some people are saying, oh, why are you using this gear going through there? Or how can you go flat and stuff? It's just, it's all about your preference, the way you drive. And I think there's a few memes <laughs> going around on my channel about minus degree tyres and <laughs> oh, so yeah. many other things yeah. and stuff as well. But yeah, the extra rotation, uh, that was on last game where sometimes I put it in first gear and kind of act it as a handbrake a little bit <laughs> to go around the corner and then double shift up. So it just, it would, it, it, it would, it was, it's what it said. It would give me that little extra rotation. But I think now it's kind of used in a way to really hype people up and, <laughs> to keep them positive and keep them in the, you know, keep them hyped for a race and stuff as well. And it's, it's something I just enjoy to say. And uh, no, if, if people feel good about racing and, and watching people race, then that's the message I want to do. So, so, yeah. so it doesn't work as well in this game. Is that what you <laughs> this, this game, I think, I think it's because I mentioned it so much last game that actually uh, took that out so engine braking isn't a thing now <laughs> but you <laughs> so, still I, I've heard you in your videos mention it do you just put it in for the memes is that what you do? is that what yeah you're pretty much yeah just put it in and just when, <laughs> I, when I do get some good extra rotation not because of the gears I'm using or anything special it's just uh, it's just uh, 
Yeah, it's just a thing you say just to try and <laughs> get you through the laps. Yeah, but in practical terms, what that means is you're putting it in, you're putting the car in first gear in a slow corner to lose a little bit of traction momentarily to to get that extra rotation through the corner, so you can turn into the corner slightly early and get a better angle of uh, of corner to go through. Basically, that in practical terms, that's what it's doing. Yeah, that before it is like just first gear, like just first gear, the back end will become really loose, but then the front will rotate very, very quickly. And then you just got to go up in the gears quickly again to keep the rear end in check. So it's just, it was, it was effectively like a little handbrake yeah. in a way sometimes. Yeah. And people do that now, like on this game, like engine braking is pretty much non-existent now. And when I mean engine braking, I mean, if you're, if you next time you play the game, if you drive down the straight and you go down the gears, you'll find that the car doesn't slow down any quicker than it would do in high. It, it will slow down a little bit, but if you did it on 2019 or 18, you'd find your car would almost spin out of control if you just go in, in a straight line and mm. no throttle, no brake. The, the engine will do the braking for you. Whereas this game, it doesn't really matter what gear so much you take the corner anymore. You won't get any more rotation in the lower gears like you did previously. Um, but the only thing on this game is that if you use high gears, it will give you more stability. But yeah, yeah. in terms of that, that actual rotation for the first gears, it, it, it doesn't do that anymore. So the engine braking is pretty much non-existent now. So is there any kind of, um, for this game in particular, F1 2020, is there, is there anything in particular that you think could just give that extra 1% that might make a difference in a, in a qualifying session, for example, that is similar to, to extra rotation in, in last year's game? Yeah, I think this game uh, is is to do with your driving style and and just setups like other areas of so things like on the suspension with the anti roll bars and you know the suspension and ride height and stuff like that and the suspension geometry. It's more of those elements now that more of actual setup elements rather than what gear you you choose or anything like that or the way you brake or the throttle. It's it's mainly down to what set you. But again knowing quite a lot of F1 eSport drivers and obviously being the alpha, I, I know the setups that we used and I know setups of other teams, which people have told me stuff as well, that people have completely different setups at times. Now, if people see my true setups on when I do a league race and stuff as well, they'll think, oh, blimey, how can you use that? But it, it, again, it's, it's about what works for you. It's about your driving style, what works for you and what is giving you that good lap time. If you're seeing good lap times, then you should stick with the setup that you're mm -hmm. doing and if you feel comfortable with it. So again, I don't think there's, there's, there's things that you can go in the right direction in that will, I feel will definitely gain you some time from the, the default setup. Definitely. I think there's an area where you should really be leaning towards more, but in terms of actual the overall percentage, then it's, again, it's really down to your, to your personal preference. Yeah, the, I mean, there were some things that really scared me when I first started out just because it was so overwhelming. I think setups were definitely one of those things because there's so many options to change and it can be yeah. quite confusing in terms of the, the actual details. But I feel like I'm at a stage now where I can kind of tell the difference between different setups and what, what tracks need, what kind of setups as well. And I tend to favour the higher rear wing quite a lot higher than the front wing just to give me that bit of extra stability. But I, I know yeah. that if I... If I if I took it down a few notches, I'd be quicker, but I would I'm more likely to lose it, or I'm more likely to make a mistake, and I think that's where that's the kind of level that 
you it's just going to take more practice basically as soon as i feel like i'm i'm kind of reaching the limit of what i can do with different setups that's when you need to kind of take it down a few notches and take a few risks basically isn't it just to try and better yourself yeah and i think it's all about just your experience and stuff the game for me that the, the general setup direction i go is that i never really have the front wing and rear wing within three clicks of each other um, for me, that's just that's just something I just oh, really? don't do. Whereas, whereas I know some people run the same level wings, and other people go the opposite and stuff as well. So it's it's kind of like yeah, the setup thing, which has been on the on these F one games, the, the setup options that you see today have been the same really since twenty sixteen seventeen. They've been around for a while now, which yeah. I think maybe in the future they might have a bit of an upgrade and stuff as well. But yeah, it's really about. If you change some, something on one part of the setup, it's kind of like an orchestra. You've got to kind of balance it out by changing something else. So if you are going to go in the same wings, then you probably got to make your suspension much stiffer because otherwise you're just going to step out. Whereas if you separate the wings, you can afford to have your roll bars further apart as well for the rotation and stuff. And that's just, again, if people don't know that and people don't understand how it works, then that's where it'd be hard for you to build a setup. So that's why... I have done my videos on that setup explanation and the default setups and what I'd recommend because for me, I always tend to focus on more of the race, which I think on this game is for the first time actually quite a big thing because in, in qualifying, you can definitely have a setup that's very responsive, but very unstable. Uh, but in the race, with part Fermi on, which it is for league racing, competitive racing, if you use that in the race, then you could be very consistent and your tyres could really be high from that. So I think you've just got to, you've got to take what's worked for people and then test them. And then sometimes you have to go in the middle between the two for it to suit you. So, Can we do a quick explain no on the the basics, really, um, in terms of setup? Because it's something, like I said before, used to really kind of scare me. But when you, when you explain them in detail, they're not <laughs> they're not as scary individually, are they? Because I think it's just because there's so many options. No, yeah, they're there. Um, yeah, it, it is quite scary and quite overwhelming. I think as well, especially new people come to the game and you're going against people. You're going online. I think, in my opinion, with a good setup, you're probably going to be gaining eight temps to a second a lap uh, driving at. And that's at a good level as well. So, you know, it's going to be even more against someone who is not experienced and, yeah. and doesn't know the game that well. For for me, the way I set my cars now, without telling my true setup or anything, um, oh, but so you're doing it's, it's normally... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I think you can have a good baseline. For me, I, I feel you should never use lower than one front wing uh, for any track. I think you should be using two or three most of the time. And the highs are really quite typically the, the rear wing is normally if i have like two in the front it's going to be seven or eight or nine mm. or something like that it's just so that i can know i can attack the corner i know the cars go so down i know when i go on the throttle it's not going to step out all the time you know sometimes i have ran two four two five and it's very very sketchy to use but again i think when my driving style i feel quite smooth at times some on some tracks you can get away with that um but in general i quite like to have a car that has the rear wing and front wing about three or four clicks apart or more. So aerodynamics, um, the front wing is all about obviously the front end and the amount of grip you get on turning. 
Um, so the more front wing you get, the more downforce you're going to have at the front of the car, which means a quicker turning. But you might have more of a an unstable rear end um, because it depending on how high you have the rear wing. So rear yeah. wings for that that back end stability. So the higher you've got that rear wing, the earlier you can get on power, um, mm-hmm. and the more stability you've got through corners. Is that about right? Do you think? Yeah, it's all about like how you have it. Like, yeah, because if you had, like, for instance, if you had 111, that's going to be the most understeery, yeah, but yeah. stable car uh, as possible. Whereas if you had 111, you're going to have an unreal turn in um, and you're going to be quite quick in the straight line because the speed's mainly affected by, like, your rear wing as well. Um, so you're going to have an unreal turn in, but the rear's going to be very, very unstable. And I think a lot of people forget as well the higher uh, downforce you have on both, that means the later you can brake. Um, but it does mean that you are going to use more fuel and ERS, yeah, which so a, lot of people, a lot of people don't realise. But if you do have a high downforce, you actually have better tyre wear though as well. It actually protects your tyre wear better. So people don't take those things into consideration because sometimes when they're doing a race, they're running a really low downforce and it's really good in quality. But then in the race, the the, you know, the, the tyres are going off very quickly or the tyre temps are going quite high. They're wondering why. Whereas me, I like to sometimes sacrifice a little bit of straight line speed in the quality um, for better tyres, temps in the race as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's a lot of things people don't realise. But for me, I think in general in this game, I think a lot of people, you, you want the front wing lower than the rear wing definitely on this game, I'd say for sure. You make a good point there. For every, everything you change, that's something I want to say as well. First off, always change one thing initially because... Where even if you change one thing, it has it has an effect on something else, which you need to counter with with another part of the setup, isn't it? So, like you said, with if you have lower downforce, you're going to be quick through uh, through the the straight, but you're gonna you're gonna be slow through the corners, and you're gonna um, you're gonna obviously use more tires as well. So every every exactly. so, everything yeah. you change has got a counter effect, doesn't it? Somewhere else down the line that you need to be aware of. Yeah, if you if you run lower downforce, that means in your suspension you're gonna to have to generate more rotation through your suspension somehow. Whereas if you're running quite a high downforce, then you can afford to go quite soft on your suspension, which will make it a bit more unresponsive. But that's being countered with the opposite balance. It's like you just got to picture it as being like on the seesaw, and you want the weights, you know, even at the end of it, so yeah. that it's, it's on a level playing field. But you, you've got to decide if you want more downforce. Um, with you know better tire wear, tire temps, or you want a lower downforce where you can save more ERS, but you could be a bit more at risk from you know, your tires going off and just being victim in the race. So it's, again, it's all about what your style and what your needs are. So yeah, it could be quite overwhelming at times, but I think there's a lot of videos out there like myself, uh, other people like James, and loads of other people as well who explain the setups. And I think when you see us league race, quite often a lot of us do show parts of our setup which will give you a pretty good idea of what it really should be for most of it so yeah yeah I th- I th- that's that's a really good point if you're unsure with setups if you have a look on I, I know I wouldn't what I wouldn't do is go and have a look at someone else's setup and just try that first and think oh that's the best setup for you because obviously like you said James 
you're gonna find something that works best for you and it's not necessarily what's it won't your setup might not necessarily work well for me because I, I might drive different to you so if you're gonna get yeah, someone else's yeah. setup try it and just have a have a play around with a few things and see if you can kind of optimize it for your your strategy as well um i think that's something that i learned very quickly because I mean, you can set a really good lap and then you can change one thing and think, oh, I feel even better just changing that one small thing. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, again, like, you know, go on time trial and seeing what the top time setup are using. If you look at the top 10 setup, then, you know, quite often their wings will be in the ballpark of what you need to use. So that, that will give you a good idea. I think that's, a, that's something that will give you a good idea. But then when you actually try it, then I think when you try things, what something I always do and something I have probably haven't mentioned is that whenever I do change something on the SERP, it, it might be a bit of a long-winded process, but I only change one thing yeah. and run the whole session with it rather than lap after lap because people, again, forget the track gets quicker throughout the session and stuff as well. So if I make a change, but the track's gotten quicker, it could actually be worse, but the track's just gotten better. So then when I try again at the beginning, it feels awful and stuff as well. So it's, there's a lot of those things to think about. Um, and you've just got to find again, what works for you. But I always just change one thing at a time and do three or four laps on it. And if there's a consistent improvement in feeling, then I go with that. And again, I think a lot of people who might not be on the same level as the people who they're aspiring to be the, the same speed at, at the moment in time. I think sometimes a set requires you to drive at a certain speed for it for you to get the best out of it as well. So if I was driving my setup, but I was driving half a second or a second slower, it might be going everywhere because I'm not actually generating generating enough speed in the corner to keep it stable. So people just need to realize that. And again, it's just it's just a learning process and you, you just got to be patient and persistent and, and just enjoy yourself as well. Um, that's the one thing I say is that when you're league racing and stuff, it's, and you're trying to get better you've got to enjoy enjoy the journey and just be patient with it as well so yeah something i mean it might sound strange but something i've learned about setups particularly is it's very similar to football manager in that if you if you find yourself losing on football manager and you change your tactic completely and you change all your instructions and then you lose again you have no idea what what's what has gone wrong or what has gone right because you've you've changed everything so it, it just confuses the whole thing so because yep. you need to know you need to know what's not working to be able to fix it so if you change everything you've you just <laughs> you're just basically putting yourself in another scenario where you don't know what what's worked and what hasn't worked so yeah exactly um, yeah because if you if you change everything you don't know what element you know, you don't know what you did. Yes, yeah, one of them it might have made you. No, it might have made you feel better overall, but you actually don't know which one it is. Yeah, so exactly, you need yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think when I start the game, when a new game comes out as well, like I, I test the extremes. I go out, I do the default setup, then I put on one eleven, then I put on eleven one, and one of the two is going to be better. And then obviously that's they're both not optimal, but at least I know which direction that it should yeah. go in. Yeah. So at least then that, that's when I start tweaking it. So if one eleven does feel better than eleven one, which it probably will, then, you know, then I start bringing them closer together. And then once it starts to feel stable and I stick with that, then I go over to the differential suspension, stuff like that, and I just work my way through. That's, that's the way I do it. Cool. I hope that's helpful for anyone listening. If they're if they're struggling on on Formula One or or they just need a bit of help with the setups, I hope that's 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 helped you there. Um, 
Yeah, thanks for explaining that. And I just wanted to touch on as well, um, while we're talking about setups, um, the suspension side of things, because, I mean, there's so many different elements within it. Um, would you mind just giving a little explanation of what individual element means and, and what it can affect? Because I've got I've got a kind of a, a, a little idea <laughs> of what it does. And I, 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 can you just explain it in a bit more detail just to help us out? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, with me, even even for the years I've played the F1 games, it's sometimes a bit a bit crazy to get your head around um, because obviously this game isn't isn't quite classified as a simulation. So obviously you can read a description of things. Sometimes it actually works in opposite way in terms of the feeling and how it is on the game. So you shouldn't always just take that uh, straight value from what you see as a description of what it should actually do. And I think there's a lot of people out there who come to the F1 games and they probably have a much better set of knowledge than me for the real real life thing. And then they try and put that on in the game and they're thinking, oh, why does this not work? But it's because it's, obviously it's not quite exactly the same. So yeah, going through the, the different suspension uh, components, you, you do have the geometry, but we have the suspension mainly itself. So we have uh, six different components. So the first part is the suspension to so the front and rear. Then you have the front and rear anti-roll bar. And then you have the front and rear ride height as well so basically uh, without getting that too technical or anything at all for me i when i explain it to people i try and do it in a in the most simple way as possible rather than getting into the the super super scientific that details or anything at all but basically <clears throat> what most people do in the Formula one game is they normally try and run 111 and that's just going to give you pretty much the most rotation uh, possible. That's effectively what the the bass was on previous F1 games. So 2013-12, you had something called the weight distribution ballast. It pretty much is almost exactly it, it, it responds in the same way um, to that, in my opinion. So the further you go on the rear, uh, the more rotation you're going to have, and the further down you go down on the front, uh, the more rotation you're going to have. So they're actually working both opposite of each other in a way. So the front further to the left is going to be the more rotation and for the rear further to the right. So 111 is the maximum rotation and then 11.1 would be the most stable one. That would be the, the super, super stable one. So again, in this game, it's just all about finding that sweet spot and um, just how the, the weight is distributed. With the anti-roll bars, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a similar effect really, um, to be honest. I think... For me, with the suspension, the first part is more, it feels more of like the initial turning, whereas the anti-roll bar is where you've already committed to the, the corner. It's just how the grip is distributed as you're going through the corner. Um, and again, all these settings have to work in conjunction with how you set up your wings and you know differential and other stuff. But if you run 111 on the anti-roll bar, it's going to make the car, once you turn in, it's going to make the, the rear rotate very quickly. It's going to make it grip up. But if you don't have a more stable element on a different part of the setup, then a lot of people would find that really difficult to control. Whereas what I do quite often, um, the little secret of mine, <laughs> I quite often uh, use 6.6 or 6.7 or 6.8 or something like that, um, just so that the rear is soft and it's quite close together. Um, and in that case, you still have a bit of rotation, but it just provides a bit more um, stability. And again, if you do the opposite, if you did the level one, that would give you the most stable setup. So it, it would feel great, but you probably would be very fast 
because you just don't have the rotation. So the anti-roll bar and the suspension, the first four elements which you see in the menu, um, the front and rear actually work pretty much in the same way. It's just a case of some people, if they're going to have them quite close together for the first part suspension, then they would have it quite far apart for the anti-roll bar. But if you have the anti-roll bar close, then you'd normally run the suspension quite far apart, if that makes sense. So it's all about what part of the car, what, which one gives you the best feeling, in my opinion. So that's the way it kind of works for there. Uh, and then for the ride height, it's a little bit more simple. Although on the game, it works uh, a little bit different um, to what in real life. Basically, the lower down, so if you're around 1-1, one, one, that's where it's going to be as close as possible to the ground. So it's not going to be great over bumps or anything at all. So that tracks at Singapore. I ran quite high, like 4-5, four, 4-6 four, or something like that, just to elevate it above the curbs. And it feels better in traction. But 1-1 one, one would give you the most downfalls possible. Um, so at Red Bull, they, with the diffuser, they run a very, very low rake kind of setup. So it would just give you the most downfalls. It, it would suck the car into the ground, but the cost of that is that it's quite hard to control. Once you lose it, then it's like a vacuum seal being opened that all everything just escapes and it's really difficult to control. So the traction won't be as good and going over curves wouldn't be as good. However, it should technically be a bit better in a straight line, but in the game it kind of has the opposite effect for different reasons. So that's how it works there. And then if you go a bit high, if you went to 11-11, then that would probably give you the most stable setup. Um, it'd be great over curbs, so you wouldn't even feel it or anything at all. Um, on this game, it actually will give you a little bit better straight down speed, but it will just give you the most stability. But again, if you want to be quick in this game, and I think in real life, to a certain degree, you have to run the setup. It's going to be difficult to drive, but it will give you that more potential Whereas I think the mistake I've made in the past is making the setup that's very stable and it feels good, but it's just, if I want to be competitive in the qualifying, then I have to drive at nine out of 10 every time to get its potential to yeah. be close to it. Whereas if you have a setup that has a lot more potential, but it is very difficult to use, a six or seven out of 10 lap might even be good enough. But then if you do get that 10 out of 10 lap of it, then it's going to be a lot quicker, if that makes sense. And that's, what, and that's what separates the drivers from like Yarno to someone else of a different ability and stuff is just being able to handle those kind of setups and get the most out of it. So that's, that's pretty much a, a simple breakdown of suspension, the best I could do. So. No, I just want to thank you. That's, that's very, very, very helpful. I hope you, anyone listening who needs help with it, I hope that was helpful to you as well. But it's interesting what you say about the setups because we see that in real life, don't we, with Mercedes. Uh, Hamilton often says how difficult or tricky the car is to drive, but he's always <laughs> topping the, the timesheets because, you know, just because you've got a, a balanced car that's easier to drive doesn't mean it will be the fastest. So sometimes no, you, you have to no. take risks um, when, you, when you're driving with setups as well just to uh, to make the difference where you can. That's what the best drivers can do. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, But really, really appreciate you going through that and I hope that was helpful to everyone listening. Um I want to touch on now, uh, move on to esports because I know you're you're fully embedded in the F1 esports world. Obviously, you used to take part in some of the professional races uh, with Renault, and you're part of the esports series back on FIFA, uh, FIFA uh, F1 2018. Um, and now you're the F1 esports manager for Alfa Romeo All in Esports, um, the team that Jarno won the the F1 esports championship for. Um, what do you make of F1 esports? Uh, I mean. 
about its growth over the last 12 months it's been it's been mad hasn't it yeah it's um it's definitely been quite a journey i think as i touched on before the beginning of this um yeah when i first went there to abu dhabi that was the first uh, event that they did uh the setup and just the location and it, it, it started off an absolutely incredible start and i think no, from there, the, the audience has definitely grown um, quite a bit. The competition has certainly grown massively. I think you're starting to see a lot more familiar faces throughout the seasons, though, where you know, personalities are starting to develop and the storyline behind it and everything. And I think I think it's got so much potential. Um, I think it is doing very, very well at the moment. And I think a lot of people enjoy watching it. And you can see a lot more sponsors. You know, teams are taken a lot more seriously. Ferrari didn't take part in the first year with Formula 1 teams because I think they just wanted to stand back and see how it how it went and then they saw what the potential was and then they came in and, and David Tanitza won uh, their debut season in fact with them so I think the growth has been very good uh, it's definitely progressing every single year as I said in terms of competition uh, just with its audience and its value and just the seriousness that teams are taking it however I do feel that there is definitely still a lot more room to grow in. Um, for me personally, I think it needs to be treated. Now, a lot of people involved in the F1 esports, quite a lot of them are just doing this as their side gig to what they're doing. So they're, obviously they've got education, you know, they've got families, they've got stuff like that, which of course, but I think it, I think it needs. And I think this is the old, the game, the the goal as well. I think people want to make it so it's like a, an actual full-time athlete and an actual career that people can do it for the long term as well. And I think for me, I think that's how it needs to be uh, definitely treated and the people taking part in it, they really need to be rewarded in that way. And, and of course, the people who are driving, they need to remember that they're representing a brand and they need to offer a lot more to the team than what the team is to them. And I think the format at the moment, it's, it's good where you have three to four events um, but I would definitely like to see more events throughout the year. Um, one of my favorite esports was Call of Duty, and I, I still watch it to this day. They do quite a lot of online events, um, as we had esports online this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. But then they also have like LAN events as well for the finale of the seasons and stuff. And I, and I think that's what I would love to see in F1 esports, where uh, the, the dream would be to follow the, the race calendar. I think that would be the dream. Um, to go to each destination um, everyone flies out there and you're competing on a LAN in the real world location between the F1 like practice sessions or between the races and stuff as well. I think just becoming a lot more involved in the actual F1 channels, I think would be great because I think you know, this year or throughout the previous years when they've had only for the last three months of the year, there's, there's a bit of a long wait <laughs> until then. There's a bit nine or 10 months for the start of the year. So I think, no, that's what they're looking to do. And I think you know, with the profiles of the drivers and how how much more investment and resources are going into it, I think that's the direction it's going to go. So I think it's growing very, very well. Um, but I definitely feel that they need to think more of the audience or how often they want to see it. And also the drivers who are participating, just giving them a bit more of a storyline, a bit more, you know, of knowing how their personality is and the journey that they're going through and, and giving them more, opportunity to showcase their talent as well and just their value to a team or a brand. I think that's what needs to happen more and hopefully it will continue in that direction. Yeah, I mean, th th there's clearly 
an audience for it. I mean, the F1 released some figures regarding the, the F1 Esports Pro Series yesterday. Uh, and across all digital platforms, the series enjoyed more than 11 million views in live stream yep. views alone, yep. which is double the in-session watch time from 2019, um, which is very impressive indeed. Uh, but I think the most impressive for me was that over the two days of the grand final, 2.5 million tuned in to watch Yano Otmir win, um, which... That that's a lot of people. So there's obviously an audience there for for it, and there's obviously a lot of interest there. Um, I agree with you in terms of I think it should be uh, alongside F1 in terms of to try and give you that exposure and to help the pros feel a bit more professional as well. I feel like they're you know part of it. Um, yeah. And yeah. what one thing I've always said about F1 esports and sim racing in general is it's got a huge advantage over other esports. So for example. Let's take FIFA, for example, or NBA, right? You're playing a traditional sports game like F1, but the difference with F1 and FIFA esports is that on FIFA esports, you're not actually running around and kicking a football into a goal or or crossing for, for, for a teammate or something. Whereas on F1, you're actually doing the same movements as if you would be in a car, you're you're picking the braking point, you're picking the throttle throttle up at the same at similar points. Obviously, there is a difference with virtual racing and real life racing. But do you think that do you think that the the game, if the games were better and more realistic, um, for example, the F one games, if it, if they were closer to real life uh, and they were closer to the the proper simulation games, do you think that? they could be that sort of maybe feeder series into F1 because we all know that karting is so expensive as, as you found out as well. Do you think that that could ever be, do you think that's the future of this eSport? I think it, I think it can definitely can be potentially. I think you raised a, a really good point comparing it to the FIFA. I think the one of the things that separates F1 eSports from any other eSports is I think it's quite transferable. Um, to the real life. And I think we've seen that with you know, Yano himself before playing in F1 games. He was you know, F4 champion. Um, I think he had a good chance at the Renault Academy. Now, James Baldwin, uh, Rudy Van Buren, there's so many, and Enzo Benito, there's you know, so many people have done esports in F1 and actually succeeded in the real life thing as well. And I think it's definitely more transferable from the game to real life as games continue to be more realistic, like you said. Um, and the more realistic they are, the more transferable they are um, completely. So I think it, I think F1 Esports, for me personally, I think it, it can definitely be a stepping stone and definitely be an incentive um, with the games being more realistic. And I think that's why it definitely needs to not just, no, not just be associated or just a part of F1. I think it needs to be a real integral, important part of F1. Like, you know, F2 is like a part going into F1 or everything like that. I think this should really be maybe a platform for where teams actually consider people from esports. You know, if they've got the right attitude, the right fitness, um, which I think every driver is really realizing now that they really have to, it's not just about their driving, it's about the shape they're in. Like the Yano this year, like he got incredible shape for his F1 esports and he really contributes a lot of his rates of his level in his game because of he's, he's taken that side of things really seriously. And I think also the social media the, again, the value that they can bring and also just how they interact with people within the media, the media skills, everything like that. Um, I think every driver is really starting to recognize that now. So I think 
if the games keep on becoming more realistic, then I think gaming and esports, it really does need to be a serious consideration to at least being involved in real life day-to-day business of a Formula One team um, because they can really be used at a very high value. And we've seen that they can perform in, in the real cars as well. But what I also would say um, to remind people is I also feel that F1 should definitely be their own thing as well with the esports, that they should, it shouldn't just be seen as, oh, it should just be a stepping stone to get a real life opportunity. I think you, you'd want to aspire to be the best online virtual driver in the world as well. And I think people need to recognize that it needs to be its own dedicated series, which has a huge, huge value. And I think now people are really are starting to see, I think as bad as last year was with the lockdown and everything was just, was just still going, but I think people are really starting to see the benefits of gaming, not in such a stereotypical way anymore. People are starting to see what opportunities it can, it can bring to people. So I think it can definitely be used as a stepping stone into getting your foot in the door of, of a real team. But also I think it has, I think it's value itself as being the best F1 esports driver online. I think it, that, that's a huge, huge value in itself. So. Yeah, I think one thing that really stuck with me um, where we spoke to James Baldwin on this podcast, World's Fastest Game, obviously he was involved um, in real love racing after that um, after that event, the World's Fastest Gamer. What he said, uh, something that changed my opinion on it was that he said that a lot of people think that uh, sim racing is easier mentally because you can crash and not get hurt. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying was, because you haven't got that adrenaline that you have in a car, it's actually more difficult mentally to get yourself in that space, to be focused on every corner because your brain knows it's not real. So you need to trick your brain almost into thinking it's real so that you can, you can really focus on the job at hand and really nail every corner. And that's something that really stuck with me about how mentally strong you have to be to be a sim racer and surely those mental the mentality that these 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 drivers have that's a, a massive transferable skill if they went into it doesn't have to be f1 say f2 f3 or or gt racing or whatever that would stand them in really good stead for for real life racing like we saw with james baldwin he dominated his his the field really in in his real life racing with jensen buttons team um that's something that really, really stuck with me. I don't know what you what you feel about that. Yeah, I, I agree with him 100%. Um, this is the discussion we have quite a lot with our drivers and everyone in the community as well. I think yeah, I think a lot of people in real life don't want to say, because obviously they, they do the real life driving, they don't want to say that their job is like easier or harder or vice versa or anything. But for me, I think you know, in sim racing, when you're competing at that level, when everyone's in an equal car as well to start off with, everyone's on the same equipment and everyone's playing the exact same game. I, I think it, it, it's really hard to judge things. I don't think it's always fair to say, oh, this is harder than something else because any game you play, any sport you do, I think, I, I believe if you get to the very top percent in ability, you know, you need a special type of character or talent to get that, you know, it's, no, there's no such thing as this is significantly easier than something else. But what I would say in sim racing is that, yeah, I think since you're playing online, you don't have that fear factor of getting hurt physically, unless you have a motion rig or something like that. But yeah, you don't have that fear, you don't have that fear factor. Um, 
And you you can push the car to limit every single lap because you know you're not going to get physically hurt. But then that also makes it a, a lot harder, in my, in my opinion, um, because the margin for error is so much smaller than it is in real life. Because in real life, obviously the cars, if you're taking a real Formula 1, for example, I think a lot of criticism it has is obviously a lot of cars are more unequal to others. But even taking that aside, even if they were equal, I think, you know, the fear factor of getting hurt, I don't think they're pushing the water a millimetre every single lap at Monaco. They're leaving something on the table, you know, two or three temps on the table because they know that if they get damaged or, you know, they could crash out of the race or, you know, the fear factor as well, as, as good as Lewis Hamilton is and stuff as well, you know, he's not going to just go completely blind into one corner if he doesn't know or something like that. Whereas in, in sim racing, you know that you can... You can press, you can press pause, you can you can restart the lap. You, no, as awful as it is to say, in real life racing, you can't do that at times. So, I think the margin for error and the consistency is required to consistently hit that top percent lap after lap. I feel is harder in online esports for anything than if you were attempting to do it in real life. In real life, it's to to be able to replicate that in real life would be like a superhuman effort. You know, it'd be almost near impossible to do that. Mm. So I think, yeah, the margin for error is just so much smaller, which I think makes the competition on the level when you're participating, it just makes it so hard, so, so hard. And it's it's, it's an interesting debate, debate to do, but I think the bottom line is in real life, you have the fear factor of the actual physical consequences, whereas, you know, in, in online racing, you don't, which I think in turn means that the competition is going to be much higher, much more consistent. And like I said, I think if you can dominate in the sim racing world, the online world, that you're able to perform that way, then when you go into the real car, the skills are transferable as well. Mm. And you've already got the mental toughness and consistency to be able to, to be able to push yourself to that level. And when you go into real life, you might not have to push yourself at that level every single lap. So I think it could definitely be yeah, I think a lot of people who do well in sim racing, you do see them do quite well in real life as well for that reason. Yeah, every now and then we see a lap, don't we, in real life racing where you, you yeah. watch the lap back, whether it be Hamilton, Singapore, that that the, the qualifying session, that qualifying session. If you talk about qualifying laps, you probably talk about the Lewis Hamilton, Singapore lap, don't you, a few years ago, yeah, yeah. where nothing was left on the table at all in that lap. But uh, I, I do take your point about that, about the kind of leaving things on the table because of, you know, you might hurt yourself. You might, people do die within, you know, within real life racing. We have incidents all the time. We see Roman Grosjean's incident, which was no yeah. one's fault. Um, it was just something that happened. And obviously it's your Bianchi and, and people like that as well. Um, so, yeah, I completely take your point. And uh, one of the things James said as well was F1 esports was the hardest competition that he was oh, yeah. in <laughs> that includes any real life racing just because of how close the field was and like you said how strong mentally you need to be so um i think the thing for me is that i wonder how many how many kids particularly from disadvantaged backgrounds as well are missing out when they have the talent to be these these racing drivers in formula 1 or even f2 or other other forms of racing but they haven't got the money to go karting so they're missing out on that pathway because that seems to be the only pathway available. Yeah, no, I think um, at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's the beauty of F1 esports. And again, like when you made that FIFA comparison, I think 
people are starting to take it a lot more seriously because at the end of the day, apart from feeling the G-force and the fear factor and stuff like that, what you're doing is the same thing. You're, you're moving the wheel, you're doing the gears, you're doing the pedals. And if the game is a simulation, which most games are quickly becoming, then the data shows that it's possible in real life as well. So I think I agree with you 100%. I think that when I did kart racing and I was fairly successful at that, it's just it costs you an arm and a leg to go up to the next level, which most people don't have unless you have a good sponsorships or you're very fortunate with some good backing. And I think, as we discussed briefly before starting the podcast, I think uh, for me, F1, I think, again, has a bit of criticism at times because I feel, and the audience feels, that there should be other drivers who... They, they, they never get recognised because they just don't have the backing. Like if you if you play football or you play tennis or anything at all, yeah, you, you do have to pay for some things. But you know, if you're really good enough, then most of the time your talent is going to get recognised mm. and then you, you're going to have that opportunity. Whereas in F1 and being myself in kart racing, I've seen so many people super, super talented. Um, they just weren't able to show it because they couldn't, they couldn't enter the competition. They, they just didn't have the funds to even do it. So, yeah, I really hope, like you said, I really hope that esports and just sim racing in general, I think I really hope a lot of teams take it seriously because the data shows and we're starting to see now on a more regular basis, like with James, like with everyone else we mentioned, that if you can perform in the sim racing world consistently and do it all the time, then that normally shows that they could have the ability to do it in the real world as well. Yeah. So I really do hope in that sense that it does provide not that, that, that that's a gateway for people that people who that might be paying from developing countries and stuff as well. They don't have the best equipment or anything. All they need is an internet connection, a games console. And if they keep performing, keep winning, get to esports and do the same thing there, then their dreams could come true. And I think that's definitely a gateway that needs to be open for a lot of people as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we say all this, I, I, It's it, it will take a few years for for kind of esports to have that kind of recognition, particularly in, in the F1 world as well, because they're kind of just just getting into it really in terms of the, it's it's quite, a, it's in its infancy, isn't it? F1 esports really in terms of how long it's been going and things. So it will take a few years, but hopefully with more realistic games and more respect and the, the longer it keeps going and the more people get interested in it, hopefully teams will take notice and we might see that change in the next few years. Um, that's the hope anyway. But um, just moving on to another uh, form of F1 esports, because uh, I know you're involved in obviously the Alfa Romeo scene as well. Uh, F1 recently announced the um, F1 Virtual Grand Prix Series will be returning for 2021. Uh, beginning in the Red Bull Ring in Austria on Sunday, January 31st, and then Silverstone a week later and Brazil on Valentine's Day, February the 14th. And it'll, it'll be, there'll be celebrities and things uh, as, as, it, as we had last year. Uh, what can you tell us about it and what are you expecting to see from, from that uh, virtual Grand Prix series? So yeah, as you just said, yeah, we've got three different events, so 31st, 7th and 14th. And yeah, I think these events are mainly just to show the world uh, how many different people from different backgrounds can come together and really just to have fun together, playing, like racing together. Um, I think we saw that last year with the Not A GP by Veloce and then F1 doing something similar themselves of just 
how you can just bring everyone together um, when we're in a we're in a time period where it's very very difficult to people to do that um, and just to have fun and just to showcase of how much fun you could have being competitive and, and racing together. So I think this year it's a pretty similar thing. I think the format is that we have um, some esport drivers going head to head first uh, beforehand, and then there's going to be the, the results based from that race is going to be the grid for the feature race where there's going to be 50%. And I think each team is trying to get as many Formula One drivers involved as possible and then trying to get as many different uh, personalities who maybe don't play F1 games competitively or anything to try and partner them and kind of like a pro amateur kind of vibe like they're doing like Gran Turismo. Um, they're trying to do that. So I think it'd be a really, really positive thing, uh, a lot of things that people enjoy. And I think we've seen from last year where people race Formula One drivers like myself, Ben Daly, Arav, um, people like Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris and stuff like that, how much fun it can be when you put the, the real-life racing drivers against the virtual racing drivers of how fun that can be and how much they can learn and enjoy from each other. So, yeah, it should be a really, really positive thing because, again, I think, worldwide i think we're all still in a bit of a lockdown period so i think it would just be something nice and refreshing to see for for the next couple of months at least yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to it to be honest and be interesting to see which f1 drivers get involved this time around because obviously there was that kind of the 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 younger drivers really got involved in there last year like charles Leclerc, george russell lando norris and alex albon really got stuck in last year and it was it was great to see their personalities come out um, in such a difficult moment, it was it was it was good to see their kind of human side, and yeah, it's good yeah. to see the friendships that developed as well between them. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and it should be should be a lot of fun. But um, James, I really appreciate you spending all this time uh, with me on the podcast. Um, not once but twice for anyone listening James actually jumped off uh, and then jumped back on for an extra an extra chat because he didn't have enough the first time around so James I really appreciate your time today no no thank you Nathan no, it's been an absolute pleasure for me and now hopefully people listen to this it gives them a bit more of a perspective into the world of esports and just showing people that if you put your mind to something then you can definitely achieve of whatever you want to achieve you just got to have the passion uh, and patience and persistence so yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed this. And I thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor for me. And yeah, look forward to the next time. Thank you for listening to Level Up, the esports and gaming show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a rating and review. You can also follow us on Twitter at Level Up Pod, where you'll find all of our previous episodes and information about how to subscribe. We'll be back with a brand new episode very soon. <laughs>